the title of this morning's message is Abraham and the God of Provision. This morning, I want to talk to you about the God of Provision, the God that Abraham recognized on Mount Moriah. Now, as you can tell, I hyphenated the word provision, and of course, I did that on purpose to help us better understand what is meant by provision. God told me like two weeks ago, you're going to do Abraham again, <laughs> and you're going to talk about provision. He didn't say provision. He just said provision. I thought, oh, good, easy peasy. <laughs> just when you think you know something. <laughs> He's like, oh, you don't even have a clue yet. <laughs> and so when I go to minister on a message that I've already ministered some other time, and you can go and listen to, the temptation is to not do it again to not include it in what he wants to say today because, well, I've already preached that. Well, it's not about what I've already preached. It's about what he wants you to hear. So, yes, you may hear things that are repetitive, things you've heard a million times, just like in today's service. Has provision been on God's mind today? <laughs> yes, it has. That's the point. He knows we're a little slow sometimes, and sometimes he has to tell us the same thing just like Michelle said, the same thing over and over and over because our heart needs to be established in the truth. The whole world talks to us, tells us we're a failure. The whole world talks to us and says you're broken and a mess. The whole world has very evil things to say about who we are and who our God is. So yes, we have to hear it again and again and again because faith comes by hearing. And the hearing comes by the word of Christ, by the Holy Spirit. So anyway, <laughs> I looked up the word provision in the Webster's 1828 dictionary. I used the Webster's 1828 because he wrote it specifically in mind of people taking that dictionary and being able to read the Bible and understand it better. So I like to use that one. The word provision in the Webster's 1828 says this, the act of providing or making previous preparation. Very simple. It is something prepared before or as it's needed. The first time the word provision shows up in scripture is within the story of Joseph, who as the prime minister of Egypt, tells his servants to secretly give back the silver that his brothers have paid for food and by hiding it in their sacks. And we see that in Genesis 42:25. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money to his sack. I like that one. Restore every man's money. <laughs> and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. So the term provision here and throughout the Old Testament pertains specifically to providing food their daily bread, so to speak. Joseph provided or saw to it, saw their need in advance of their need and provided what they needed for their trip. He provided in advance of the actual need. Now, the word provide literally means, according to the Webster's 1828, to see before. Pro, meaning before, and video, meaning to see. So to provide is to see the need 
before the need is present <laughs> and to prepare to fulfill the need so that when the need does arise, the need is then answered and met. That's the meaning of provide. To see before, to prepare in advance of the need so that the need is met when it arises. In other words, it doesn't stare. Or about the time you recognize you have a need, there's the answer. <laughs> That's God's idea of provide. The first place the word provide shows up in scripture is within the story of Abraham offering Isaac as a sacrifice. But before we look at that passage of scripture, I want to explain about a mark that is found within the Old Testament scriptures, but it's not always translated. It's called the Aleph Tav. Years ago, I received a Hebrew interlinear Bible as a gift because I always want to know, what does this word mean? <laughs> what did it mean when they said it? How does God see this word? I love that kind of stuff. What is in it? What is there to be revealed that I'm not seeing? So when I got this Bible, I'm looking. Now, I don't read Hebrew. All I can tell is that there's a Hebrew word <laughs> and English underneath. And I'm so I'm like, so, okay, that's how they did that. That's how they did that. That's how they did that. And then there's a little, a little tiny word. And what? No explanation. I, what is this? What is this untranslated word? I didn't even know what to call it. <laughs> and so I was like, God, you see, God hears every prayer you pray, every conversation you have with him, he hears, and he works on that. All I said was, God, I don't understand why there's something untranslated. Why would they do that? I want to know. That's all I said. God, I want to know. <laughs> it was several years down the road, and I heard several ministers minister on the Aleph Tav. And that's what these two little letters were. Every time I came across, and it was all over the place, I couldn't figure out why they would leave something untranslated. We're going to look at that today. Back then, I didn't even know what it was called, the Aleph Tav, so I couldn't even Google it. Because <laughs> if you know what to call it, you can usually find it. <laughs> so sometime later, I saw, I think it was Joseph Prince and Paul White both ministered on the Aleph Tav. The Aleph Tav concept comes from Revelations 1, verse 8. And what I'm showing you right here is what I see in my software program. I use eSword, and eSword displays every word with its corresponding Strong's Concordance number. Saves a lot of time. <laughs> you just mouse over it, and you can see what the Strong's Concordance says. You don't have to go looking everything up. It's there for you. So I just mouse over it, and I see the definition. One of the things I wanted you to see is that translators sometimes leave out what they deem unnecessary for proper understanding. As you can see, it says I, and it has a number. Am, it has a number. And then it has a number in parentheses. What that means is there's a word there in the Greek that they're not showing us what it is. They said, that's redundant, unnecessary. <laughs> and it has alpha, not a number. And, see, everything has a number except the words in parentheses. And it just so happens that it's the same word. The word you don't see is the word the. The or the being the definite article. The means the one and the only. 
You see, Jesus says here, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. But they left out the the. I am Alpha and Omega. They didn't put in the. <laughs> the one and only Alpha and Omega. I think that's kind of important. <laughs> the book of Revelation is translated into English from Greek. The Alpha is the first letter of the alphabet, and the Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. For us, we would say, I am the A, and I am the Z, and I am everything in between. That's Jesus. And that's how we understand it. The beginning and the end, and everything in between. But there's so much more. <laughs> Jesus would have spoken Hebrew, and the scholars verify this, that when this was first written, it was written in Hebrew, not in Greek. So you have translation from Hebrew to Greek to English. Stuff can get lost. <laughs> so anyway, in this scripture, Jesus very clearly tells us that he is the Aleph, which is the Hebrew A, and the Tav, which is the Hebrew Z. We would understand it as Z. And these Hebrew letters carry meaning that you and I are not usually aware of because we don't speak or understand Hebrew. Hebrew can have many, many layers of meaning. I have um, a little picture for you of the Aleph and the Tav. The Aleph is the fancy X <laughs> and the backward N. The corresponding to the Hebrew alphabet is you have pictographs. They say these came first and developed into letters. So what the left means on the left side is what you see on this side, which is the head of a bull. And then the cross and the what's called the tav, those are equal as well. So they mean the same thing. The pictograph, which is the head, is that of an ox, and it represents strength, a leader, a chief, the one in charge. <laughs> so we can see that that pertains to God. It can refer to God as the head or chief of the world. And also, what I love about the Aleph, you see how that's a, it has a, a, a straight line and then a little curly thing on top and a little curly thing on the bottom. What they say this actually represents is the hand of God coming down to earth, the hand of God on earth. So as it is in heaven, so it shall be on earth. That is what is included in the understanding of that symbol. The cross, which is sometimes uh, an X, and if you ask Jewish scholars, they will get all kinds of mad if you leave it a, <laughs> a cross, because <laughs> they're trying to get rid of that. <laughs> but this is exactly the pictograph. It is a cross. That represents the Tav, the last letter. This mark within the scripture indicates a sign, a covenant, or a mark or sign indicating special attention should be paid to the scriptures in which these appear. If you ask Jewish scholars today about the Aleph Tav, they will tell you that it's just a grammatical marking that points out what the direct object of the sentence is, and that it has absolutely no significance whatsoever. However, that's not what the Jewish theologians of Jesus' day thought. <laughs> they specifically taught that the Aleph Tav was a special sign and that it indicated that there was something more than the obvious, 
that was going on regarding the understanding of that particular scripture. They taught that it was a divine invitation to see something divinely secret and that its presence was indicative of the hand of God at work and that it always pointed to covenant. As we look at Genesis 22 this morning, I think you'll find this to be true. I'm going to read Genesis 22 from a version that I copied from the website, the Messianic Aleph Tov Scriptures. The Aleph Tovs are appropriately inserted for us to see, and it is a very literal translation, and sometimes comes across a bit choppy. A word-for-word -word translation Bible can seem choppy. What our translators do is they take what they see in the scripture and they convert the idea and the words so that we get something that we are used to, something that's more fluent. There are all different kinds of translations out there. Some of them are word for word, like the um, New American Standard. There's based on a word for word kind of interpretation. And some, like the Amplified, say, hey, what is he trying to actually say? Because we don't understand Hebrew or Greek. So these translations help us understand what's hidden within the meaning of the words. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 22. And was after these words, and the Elohim tested, and you see a little T-A, the Hebrew is right to left. So we would say, what's the ta? No, it's an aleph tav is the symbol. So it's an A and a T. So that's all that that means. What this is showing us is that that is what is there. There's an aleph and a tav. There is a funny X and a backwards N in the scripture. And what scholars do is they say that's not relevant. We're not putting the meaning of that into our scripture. So here we can see what's actually written. So Elohim tested Aleph Tav Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, I. The Aleph Tav here always points to the fact that he's a covenant partner. This is a little reminder. In the scripture, God is saying, Pay attention to the fact that this is all about covenant. That's what the Aleph Tav is. The Aleph Tav is Jesus. Jesus is the mediator of every covenant. He says, covenant is important, pay attention. In this story, Abraham doesn't know it, but he's going to prophetically act out and represent God the Father. Now, he doesn't know God as Father yet. That's part of the purpose of this test. Verse 2. Take now a left hop. Pay attention. Jesus is in the midst of this. <laughs> Take now your son, a left hop, your only son, a left hop, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and elevate him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will say to you. The first a left hop, he is the son of promise. We look at this and go, yes, this is all really about Jesus. Abraham didn't know that. Abraham didn't know he was the God the Father figure in this little act or play. <laughs> but he is. The second Tav, your only son. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And then a left Tav. Pay special attention. This is all about covenant. This is all about God the Father and God the Son. Isaac. Isaac is the type and shadow of what would later take place. 
what God did when Moses wrote this. He didn't know the story of Jesus. See, this makes perfect sense in hindsight. We go, oh, well, of course. Abraham didn't know this, and Moses didn't know it, and he wrote it. He didn't know he was putting little insertions into the scripture that pointed to something that would take place at a later date. That this would explain something God was going to do in the future. The second Tav, we know that Abraham had two sons, but he had to send one away. Abraham had to send Ishmael away. He had type in a shadow of Father God. And then he, he had the son of promise, just like God. God had to send Adam out of the garden. <laughs> but Jesus is his one and only son. The third Tav represents Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise through Isaac, and that the whole world would be blessed. When we see this story, God says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. And he's bringing to the forefront of Abraham's mind what it is to be a father and what it is to have a son. Abraham didn't know God as father or as love. In fact, this is the first scripture where the word love appears and has everything to do with a father and a son. <laughs> Every people group worshipped some kind of God. But that God was never a father, and he was never love. Here we have God revealing his true character. The church today still has a problem with God being truly a God of love and mercy and goodness and kindness, and they think he's mad, and he's angry, and he's going to spank you. He's going to send you to your room. He's going to take away all the things that are important to you, which is how they interpret this passage of Scripture. See, God wants you to sacrifice, and it's got to hurt. This has nothing to do with that. That is the wrong interpretation of this Scripture. Abraham has a decision. God's given him a word. He says, go. He has to decide. Now, we already know he believes God. We already know he's been made righteous by God. So this has nothing to do with Abraham's righteousness. This has everything to do with Abraham stepping out on his faith. Do I do what I want to do or what God wants me to do? Sometimes those things are different. <laughs> Years ago when God told me, I want you to become a vegan, I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So he let me get away with that. And a couple of days later, I'm like, God... I need some answers here. He said, I want you to be a vegan. I said, no, I'm gluten-free. That's hard enough. I am not going to go meat-free. <laughs> Another week went by. God, when are you going to do something? <laughs> God said, when are you going to do what I told you to do? <laughs> you see, God had a plan in that. At that time, I had fibromyalgia, and I was sick all of the time, and I had absolutely no energy. So two weeks being a vegan, and I did it as a fast. Because I learned a long time ago, if you do anything unto the Lord, he empowers you to do it. <laughs> I used to say, a fast done unto the Lord brings with it its own reward. And it always does. You can't do something unto the Lord and not find reward in it. He won't let you. He's all about rewarding you for your faith. Because that's what I was operating in. You see, God gave me something to do that I could trust him in my health. I wasn't trusting being a vegan. I wasn't happy at all about being a vegan. <laughs> but within two weeks, I had miraculous results in my body. 
Did eating just vegetables help? Yes, but did eating just vegetables bring that miraculous deliverance? No. Every time I set aside the meat, it was an act of faith. God, you said, I'm not doing that. God, you said, I'm not doing that. God, you said, you're my meat. Lord, you're my provision. Lord, you're my health. And every time I set aside the meat, I was activating my faith. I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> I was getting miraculous results simply by doing what God told me to do. So Abraham's first decision is, am I going to do this? I'm sure Abraham had no desire to do this, but he knew God said, and his feelings didn't count. <laughs> Sometimes our feelings want to vote, and God says, no, feelings don't get to vote. What does God say? And God said, and I love this, you ever notice God rarely gives you the end from the beginning? <laughs> he says, go, where am I going? I'll let you know. <laughs> when you start getting close, I'll let you know. Why? Because he doesn't want him going in his own strength. He wants him going with his eyes and ears open to the Holy Spirit. So you no, know, God didn't tell him how this is going to work. He said, go. And Abraham, because he believed God, he went. In verse 3 it says, And Abraham arose early in the breaking period morning. That's just how they translated it. And saddled a left haw, his donkey, and took a left haw, two of his young men with him, and a left haw, Isaac, his son, and broke up the wood of the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which Elohim had said to him. Again, little pointer. He says, this is important. <laughs> this has to do with covenant. This has to do with what is coming ahead. Is there any scriptures about Jesus and donkeys? Yeah. <laughs> Three days, we're going to hear that in a minute. Three days before he went to the cross, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. When Jesus went to be sacrificed, how many men went with him? <laughs> Two. <laughs> and Aleftah, Isaac, his son. This is the son. This is the Aleftah. This is the beginning and the end. So all of this is pointing specifically to what is going to come. And the third day, Abraham lifted Aleftah, his eyes. I love this. We know from Revelation, Aleftah is Jesus. Abraham lifted his eyes unto Jesus. When you see in scripture where it says, and they lifted their eyes, they're either lifting them unto an idol or they're lifting them to the one true and living God. It is an act of worship. It is an act of listening. It is, okay, Lord, what's next? <laughs> he lifted his eyes unto Aleftah and saw Aleftah, the place from a distance. The place we know now is the very place where Christ was sacrificed. You see, all of this only becomes apparent. We can only see into the divine secret after it's come to pass. He didn't see it the way we saw it, at least not yet, not as of that time. So what we see here is more guidance. Remember, he left without knowing the end from the beginning. He said, go. 
and I'll let you know. <laughs> he lifts up his eyes. He seeks God, and God gives him more guidance, more direction, more revelation. That's a very good description of our relationship with God. God's always communicating with us, always, even if we don't recognize it. Verse 5, And Abraham said to his young men, Dwell of you here with the donkey, and I and the young man will go unto there, and we will worship, and we will return unto you. Here we see Abraham speaking his faith. You see, he may not understand this completely, but he already knows God promised that through this son, the son of promise, the complete promises will come to pass. So he knows he can't get rid of his son and still have what God says. So here we have the contradiction. Is God right? <laughs> Am I going to do what God says? Does God really know what he's doing? Abraham thought so. Verse 6. And Abraham took a left the wood. You see there, the, the word wood has an explanation. It's actually the word tree. That's what it actually says in the Hebrew. It's actually the word tree. Abraham took, and here we have a left Jesus and the tree of the burnt offering, and was laid, put, set upon Isaac, his son, and took the alefta fire and the alefta knife in his hand. The two of them went together. He understands that this is about worshiping alefta, God the Father and God the Son. And these are the instruments of that worship to bring forth the sacrifice. Verse 7, Isaac said to Abraham his father and said, My father, and said, Behold, I, my son, and said, Behold the fire and the woods, the tree, and where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, Elohim will see, doth provide, for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them, they went together. Some scholars, even Jewish ones, believe what Abraham actually said is, God doth provide himself a lamb. You, my son, <laughs> you're the offering. You're the lamb. And they came to the place which the Elohim spoke to him. And Abraham built there a left the altar, and arranged a left the woods or tree and bound a left Isaac, his son, and placed him on the altar from upon the woods or the trees. We know that at least three different times in the New Testament, the altar is a tree. That Jesus is going to be laid on the tree. And if you do some investigating, this altar that he built, it says that he arranges the pieces on top of the altar toward the top. Where was Jesus laid? On an altar called a tree. And he was laid there at the top. That's why we see all of these aleftahs going, hey, this is important. Hey, something's going on here. Hey, this is divinely inspired. Hey, pay attention. Abraham stretched out aleftah, his hand, and took aleftah, the knife to kill his aleftah, his son. This is about covenant. These aleftahs always point to covenant and always point to something that God is doing that we may not be able to see. Abraham couldn't see all of this that we see now. Verse 11. 
And the messenger of Yahweh called to him from heaven, that was Jesus, <laughs> and said, Abraham, Abraham, and said, behold, I, and said, do you not stretch out your hand upon the young man, and you not do to him anything? For now I know that you are a fearer of Elohim, and that you have not withheld Aleftah, your son, Aleftah, your only one, from me. Again, to us, it couldn't be more obvious. <laughs> this is the one and only Son of God that would come, and that is why it is written this way. Moses didn't understand what he was writing, but he knew there would be a day when the Jews needed to know that Jesus was who he said he was. And he came to do exactly what he did. And Abraham lifted a left his eyes. He lifted his eyes to the left his covenant God, and looked, and behold, a ram behind was caught, seized, or entangled in the thicket among his horns. And Abraham went and took Aleftah, the ram. Love that part. He is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. Aleftah, Jesus, right here in the old covenant, and elevated him for a burnt offering instead of his son. Do we see Jesus in thorns somewhere in the new covenant? <laughs> of course we do. John 19, verse 5. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. That is why Jews will not accept Christ as who he is, because they see him as just a man. They did not think that God would have the audacity to be actually become a man. All they saw was a man. Verse 14, And Abraham called the name of that place, or his place, Yahweh Yirah, which is said today, The day shall be seen in the mountain of Yahweh. Now, it doesn't come across that way in any of the normal translations. Abraham said, that which is today, this day we say this, that that day shall be seen in the mountain of the Lord. That is the exact same place Christ was crucified. What Abraham said was that on the same mountain in the future, what happened this day will happen that day. And everyone will see it. That's why he named the place Yahweh Yira, the God of provision. Not the God that just supplies, but the God who foresees your need before you even know you have one. <laughs> He's the God who goes way before you and plans out what he has for you. Abraham was able to see the future before it happened and that God had surely seen our need and supplied it before we ever knew we had a need. <laughs> Verse 15, And the messenger of Yahweh, which we know is Jesus, called to Abraham from the heavens a second time and said, On me I have sworn, states Yahweh, for the purpose or because of which you have done this word. In the King James it says, You've done this thing. It isn't a thing that he did. It was a word that he fulfilled. He operated on the fact that God spoke. And that's pointed out in the scripture, the word. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the aleftah. In the beginning, Jesus was in the midst of it all. And you have not withheld your covenant son, your aleftah, your only one, 
that blessing I bless you and multiplying, I will multiply a left ha, your seed. Now, what seed is he going to multiply? As the stars of the heaven and as the sand, which is upon the lips of the sea, and your seed shall possess a left ha, Jesus, the gate of his enemies. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 15, says this, He, Jesus saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, what rock? The revelation of the true identity of Jesus Christ. On this rock, I will build my church. The true identity of who God is as Father and who God is as his Son. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on. <laughs> it's all about revelation. God is the one, and he's the only one who can open our eyes to see the reality of who Jesus is and what God our Father is actually like. And that's what he did for Abraham. Verse 18, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because of which you have listened to my voice. And I love this too, because in the King James, it says obeyed. It's one of my little uh, pet peeves. I don't like the word obeyed <laughs> because it insinuates I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Do we want our children to obey us? Or do we want our children to trust us, love us, and listen? You see, there's a difference. When our children love us, trust us, they will, what we call, obey. In other words, they'll act on their faith in us. That's the whole point. God is not a God who's mad and mean and demanding certain things from you. He never wants to take anything away from you but your sin. <laughs> That's the only thing he wants to take away is your sin. Because he knows when you get rid of your sin, everything in the kingdom becomes yours. He's not trying to take anything away. He's trying to get everything he is and everything he has to us. And how do we do it? By listening to his voice. Galatians 3.16 says this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto the seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Christ as the elect ha is definitely and obviously throughout this entire passage of scripture, but is still hidden if someone doesn't know the story of Jesus. You see, if you're Jewish and you don't, you've already rejected, you've never even heard the truth, you don't even know why all of these markers are here and what the secret is that's actually in there. I always think about how hard it must have been for the apostles <laughs> before the New Testament was written because all they had was the Old Covenant. And from the Old Covenant, they're going to explain God the Father's plan of salvation. It had nothing to do with the law, had nothing to do with keeping rules, had everything to do with knowing who God really was. And I always thought that must have been super hard. <laughs> But not when you have a picture like this. 
when the man of faith, who is the, the head of the faith, the Judaism faith, and he says, look what God has hidden for us. Look, all those years before the law, God said, I want you to know me. I want you to know me as father. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know I'm not taking anything away from you. That was very foreign. So much of Judaizers simply refused to hear. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, it says this. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come that ye might have life. We know the apostles preached mostly from the Old Covenant scriptures. I can't imagine trying to convert somebody without this knowledge. Because when you see the truth that it was hidden for you, not from you, but for you, <laughs> how could you say no? You see, we understand God is the left and the top. He is the beginning and the end. He sees the end before the beginning even starts. That makes a big difference when we understand just how much he is involved in our lives. <laughs> we end up saying, wow, <laughs> you were there the whole time and I didn't see it. What really hit me through this study was that Abraham, what he really received that day was pro vision. Not just a lamb, but pro vision. He got to see what God was going to do. That's what this was really all about. Not just provision as far as food, but to see what God sees now. He saw into the future through what God had him act out. That's why he said in the mount this day, that day will be seen. Yahweh will be seen. Yahweh Yira seeing it before it comes to pass. This test wasn't just about what had happened that day. It was about the day when God the Father and Jesus his Son would come and rescue us from all the power and presence of sin. I was asking myself what I thought the reason that God told Abraham to do this. First, I think it was about revealing the truth about a God who is really a good God. He's a father and he has a son. And he's all about loving his son. We, of course, are his sons. Even if we're female, we have the position and authority of a son. And so Abraham, as a father, could identify with this God of love. You see, apart from understanding love, we could never correctly understand God. So Abraham says, wait a minute, you're like me, <laughs> your father. You see, when we understand that we are really made in the image of God, we are really been recreated in the very image of Christ, we can understand that I am like him. He is like me. That's important. <laughs> He's not a God far away who's uninterested. He comes down to be with us. So Abraham could only understand God because Abraham understood himself as a father of a son. I think a light may have gone off in Abraham's head that day, coming to the realization that I am like him. 
I really am like him. He really is like me. <laughs> He's not a God who is far away on a mountaintop. Most of the church still sees their father in heaven far away when he sits right in here on the throne of our heart. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am in the Father and you are in me. In other words, we're all full in there of God. <laughs> God is not somehow far away and, and not listening. But it was very popular to think that God's only lived on mountaintops. I think part of Abraham's test was about understanding that God our Father isn't someone who's demanding obedience and sacrifice. Let me say that again. <laughs> He's not demanding obedience and sacrifice. He wants us to know him as our source and our supply. He wants us to know him as a father who is crazy about us. He wants us to know him as our covenant friend who's reliable and dependable and who sees the end from the beginning. And of course, God didn't take anything away from Abraham, but instead supplied him with the very thing and everything he needed. And the one thing he needed most that day was pro vision. He needed to see what God saw. He needed to realize how important he was to God. He needed to know how important he was. We need to know how important we are to God. He cares about everything in us and for us and has seen the end of the beginning. He knows what he wants you to have. He knows where he wants you to go. He knows and he's gone before you and already provided. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God foresaw us. So he created a perfect place for us to live. He supplied us with everything before any of us ever showed up. And before he even laid the foundations of the world, before he laid the foundations of the world, he saw you. Before he laid the foundations, he knew you would have a need. Before he laid the foundations, he saw us. He's not surprised by us. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not disappointed in us. And he loves us more than we could ever actually understand. He saw that we would screw things up. <laughs> he foresaw us. He foresaw that Adam and Eve would choose their own strength over his. So God the Father and God the Son prepared our rescue from power and presence of sin before we ever actually even needed it. Jesus says that he is the beginning and the end, the aleph and the ta, and everything in between. Our Father isn't surprised by the things that happen in our lives. There are truly no real crises. Because if we look at things from God's point of view, he says, I've already got an answer. It's already provided. What do you got to do to get it? Act on the word. What's the word he's given you? Act on the word. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Father has put us back into the perfect plan. He's put us back into that garden, so to speak. He's, he's brought the kingdom of heaven here. That's really what the garden was. And he says, I've given it all to you. It's already provided. Also, I think this test actually helped Abraham apprehend his promise in his own heart. How does someone believe for something that they wouldn't be alive long enough on earth to see it come to fruition. And yet that's what Abraham did. He believed that the whole world would be blessed because of 
this relationship with God. That was the promise that descendants, endless, eternal descendants, and he just accepted it. Okay, sure. But see, there's something that happens to us when what we know is true becomes real to our heart. I know the truth all day long. I'm healed, Jesus. I'm healed. <laughs> but when I got it, <laughs> it was a whole different kind of real. I always knew it was real. I always believed it was real. But when I acted on what God told me to do, and I actually received it, you see, it didn't come from anywhere. It just manifested because it was already in me the whole time. How did he do that for Abraham? How did he get Abraham to believe on something he would never see on earth? He got him to act on it. <laughs> the lifting up of our eyes to the one who has already provided, even if the provision is temporarily hidden. We can know that our Father has already made a way for us because of his great love for us. He had provision. He acted on the word and he received the revelation that this whole thing was not about faithfulness. It really wasn't about sacrifice and demand. It was all about revealing who the creator God really is and how much he wanted to have relationship and how important he was to the, the creator of the universe. Sometimes we need some provision. <laughs> We need to lift up our eyes and let the truth of who our Father is convince our heart that our Father is faithful to guide us and direct us. And sometimes in little bitty step by little bitty step <laughs> on our way to what God has already provided for us. What I hope you walk away with this morning is understanding, one, God is super crazy about you. He adores you. If you could see, he's kissing you and taking care of you and meeting. He's already, see, the, the room for the baby had already been prepared. You see, God prepared for us everything we would ever need. What do we do as parents? We provide everything they need. Do they have a clue that they need it? <laughs> no. What they do do is they learn to trust that when they cry, my parents answer. God is a good God. He has answered before you even asked the question. <laughs> and his answers are always according to the covenant, yes and amen. If it's in the covenant, if it's of God, if it's lovely, if it's true, if it's love, he says yes, it belongs to you. And I hope you leave wanting more pro-vision. Show me what's next. It may only be one little step. You may not see the whole end, but it's like one little step. Then I'll tell you more. One little step, I can tell you more. Because you know what? If we showed us the whole thing, we would say, no thanks. <laughs> that looks way too long and way too hard. <laughs> but he says, I have and am everything you want and everything you need. It's all for free. What we need to do is use our provision. One of the things Judy said earlier is, can you get a picture of that? <laughs> You see, our heart, the place where we believe, it believes what we see and feel. So when Abraham acted this out, wow, was that ever real? But then God turned around and must have shown him exactly what it all meant. Because Jesus says later on, Abraham saw this day and was glad. God had showed him the plan of salvation after he acted it out. You know, if you act like you're healed, 
<laughs> if you act on what he says to you, what happens is your heart begins to be persuaded. That's one of the things I want you to take away, is that I can see the reality and the truth of God's word. If I can make that real to my own heart, we don't do this by ourselves ever. God helps us to see, to see what he's promised, that it is already true, it is already exists, it is already at work, and all he asks us to do is take a little bitty step. Because <laughs> that little bitty step can change everything. It changed the whole course of Abraham's life. A little bitty step. We need to lift up our eyes to the one who has already answered every prayer. We need to lift up our eyes and hear the word of the living God. Because when we hear him, it changes us. It pierces us to our very coat. When we know that it's God, when we, we've heard it for the 14th time, you're like, okay, God, I got it. <laughs> I got it, God. <laughs> but it changes us. And when it changes us, we start apprehending what he's already promised. Amen? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have hidden, you have hidden all of your glories and all of your promises and all of your plans in the word of God. It is full of life. It is full of truth. It is full of who you are. Father God, we thank you that you reveal yourself first and foremost as a father who loves with an everlasting and a never-ending love. We thank you, Father God, that you have already provided everything we need. Father God, and all you ask us to do is to step out and act on the words that you give us. We thank you, Father God, that you have given us your very strength and your very life and even your very faith. Even your very faith. The measure of faith. So that we can operate according to your word. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>